It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Ken Kesey once said, the truth doesn't have to do with cruelty. The truth has to do with mercy. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new study questions tool, an easy-to-follow, single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible Study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what's the subject today? Well, Rick, our question is, what three steps will get us to heaven? Part one. And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what three steps will get us to heaven? Three steps only, huh? That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does the road to heaven actually look like? If you look across the wide spectrum of Christian beliefs, you're going to find far more variety in the answer than you might have thought. You would expect all of the answers to include believing in Jesus, and that's a good start. However, the Bible gives us several other qualifiers for being on the road to heaven, and this is where the confusion begins. So coming up in today's podcast, the Bible uses a lot of words that are simply not easily understood in these days. Take justification, the word justification, for example. When we say someone is justified now, the meaning is dramatically different than back in Bible times. Segments two and three put this in order and show us how God sees justification. The next word we're going to talk about is almost never even heard outside of Christian and Jewish circles. The word is sanctification. Like what? Segments four and five define it and show how this process actually permeates every part of our Christian lives. Why are these words important? They, along with a few others, completely define Christianity. So, Jonathan, these are really important words. Rick, the fact is that going to heaven is not merely about what one believes. As a matter of fact, being on this journey is not something we can just one day decide to do. Heaven is possible. What steps must be taken? Okay, so what steps does it take to get to heaven? To begin... We're going to look at several words that define what God's plan is all about. We're going to put them in a general order. Different ages have a different order. And then we're going to only focus on three of those words. Well, Rick, when you mentioned ages differ, are you talking about how old we are? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm older than you, so does that mean I get to go first, I guess? 
Actually, I shouldn't be wanting to admit that I'm older than you oh, at this point in go. time. So. <laughs> anyway, no, age is different. In other words, at the, in the Christian age, where we are now in the stream of time, the application of these things works differently than in the resurrection time. So today we're really going to focus on the Christian age, and part two we're going to focus some on the Christian age and then some on the next age. So that, that's what we mean by that. But thank you for asking that particular question. Okay, Rick, uh, let's start with salvation. Okay, salvation. This is the big picture subject of the entire Bible. All humanity lost harmony with God by Adam's disobedience. God knew this, and he was not just prepared, he was pre-prepared. Okay, he put the plan in place long before he even needed the plan. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb's, uh, the book of life of Lamb, who has been slain. Okay, so from the foundation of the world, we have the, the Lamb slain from way back. So God was pre-prepared, and that's what the Bible is about. The Bible is about the journey of man and bringing man back to God. And next, Rick, comes redemption. Okay. Redemption is the method by which salvation is accomplished. It's the method that salvation needs to be accomplished. Justice needs satisfaction, and Jesus' perfect human life redeemed Adam and therefore redeemed all. All of the rest of us, and we can see that in First Timothy two six, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Okay, Jesus, this ransom for all, it was an important testimony. This is the pivot point, the method that salvation is uh, able to actually happen. Happens entirely because of Jesus. Well, so far we have salvation and redemption. Next, justification. Okay, justification is the application of that ransom price we just talked about, which comes, and this is important, it comes on an individual basis, always. Justification is an event. It is the acquitting, the making right of an individual who was previously in the wrong. Justification, Jonathan, we're going to find is a legal term. As redemption, the, the redeeming is also a legal process. This is a legal term. Romans 5.1, that was our theme text, actually. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so justification is acquittal, and it is an event that comes to each individual one at a time, essentially. Okay, so... Well, next, let's look at reconciliation. Okay, so we have salvation, the big plan of God. It happens because of redemption. It can only happen because redemption legally satisfies what needs to be done. Justification applies what was legally done to each individual. Reconciliation now is the process of reconnecting, taking those who've been out of harmony with God and teaching them what it means to truly be in harmony with him. Reconciliation can only occur if justification is in place. So reconciliation is the legal action to complete the justification or the acquittal process. And that's shown to us in 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it talks about us already being reconciled, 
and then giving us a ministry of reconciliation. We're going to get into that a little bit later, even though reconciliation isn't one of the key words we're going to be focusing on today. And the next focus, Rick, is sanctification. Okay. Just like reconciliation was a process, sanctification is also a process. This is the process of becoming holy. This process can be, at, at times, begin even before justification is put in place, but it can never happen without justification. Understanding harmony with God is a start, that was reconciliation, but to be truly useful to him, one must also grow into the holiness of what it means to be children of God. So we're going through these words, and there's a very specific meaning for each, and I want to just, before you read this scripture, Jonathan, before I forget, mention Siku Show Notes. Uh, folks, you can get those on our website, and it, you need to have this stuff in front of you to really be able to grasp what we're talking about. So with sanctification, the process of becoming holy, Jonathan, First Thessalonians 4, verses 4 and 5. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, know how to possess your vessel, your, your human body, in holiness and honor. So sanctification is this process of becoming holy. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time on it later. So, And now, finally, glorification. Okay. Glorification is the result. Okay, so we had the big picture in salvation, the method in redemption, the application in justification, the process of reconnecting and reconciliation, the process of becoming holy in sanctification. Glorification is the result of everything above, of justification, reconciliation, and sanctification. A lot of big words, Jonathan, and what we're trying to do is put them out as a basis for understanding how God's plan works. God's plan has always been to have an eternal family both in heaven and on earth. Romans 8, 18. For I considered that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. Paul is talking about looking at today and looking at tomorrow and saying the glory that comes to us is far beyond anything we can possibly even conceive. So dealing with the difficulties of today should not be so difficult. Okay, so there are six pieces to the plan of God here. Salvation, redemption, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, and glorification. These are all important. Uh, We're going to focus on a few of them today to try to put all of this in perspective. So God's plan can be summed up in six words that begin with his ancient intentions and end with his results. If there are six things that show us God's plan, Why are we talking about only three steps to heaven? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. All right, all right. To say that there are three steps to get to heaven is a dramatic oversimplification, okay? I'm (laughs) oversimplifying it. In our two-part series, we chose to focus on three aspects of the pathway to life that seem to be confused even though they're talked about regularly. 
And they are three of those six words we talked about. They are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are the three. Today, Jonathan, we're going to focus on really on justification and sanctification. And, you know, i got to blame Howie for all of this. Howie's fault. It is. Really? It is. Howie is a dear Christian friend of ours in uh, New Zealand, and he was talking to me uh, a few months ago, and he said, you know, would you do a, a podcast on these three words? He said, because a lot of people in, in churches seem to talk about them, but he says, but you know, it doesn't make any sense. So can you put them in order? And and Howie, well, this one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, Jonathan, we're going to play some sound bites as we go through the podcast uh, from different preachers talking about things. And we're going to take a look at their, their, their approach on these words, and we're going to differ with every single one of them, at least a little bit here or there. And look, the idea is not to say, oh, look, they're wrong. The idea is to say, okay, let's take the idea that, that might be generally accepted, and then let's look, let's look a little deeper and see what we can find. So we're going to start that by going to what is justification for Pastor Greg Laurie, and uh, he gives a, a definition, if you will, and then we'll make some comments afterwards. A word that Paul has made great use of in Romans is justification. And you remember that it is a legal term that speaks of a number of things, including the forgiveness of one's sin and the removal of the penalty for that sin. But then God has also put the righteousness of Christ into our spiritual bank account. We've been justified. And the reason we've been justified is because we accepted God's conditions of knowing Him, which are unconditional surrender. We don't come to God and dictate what we're going to give up or not give up or, or what we're going to do or not going to do. God basically says, here's the bottom line. You are completely sinful and separated from me and you've never done anything that is even remotely good enough to get you close to heaven, but I've loved you. And if you will unconditionally accept this fact and repent of your sin and come to me, I will forgive you. Well, if we've accepted that, we've been justified Okay, so if we've accepted that, we've been justified. Now, I, I actually think that the Scriptures approach it a little bit differently. He had some, some very, very good, powerful, and appropriate thoughts, but I think the actual definition of justification sometimes gets lost in the details. He did say that it's a legal term, and it is. So we want to, to, to look at it that way. So, justification, primarily two words are used which have a subtle but significant difference in the New Testament. Before we get into those two words, this other word we're going to talk about just is, is translated justification twice. We wanted to mention it because it's in one of the uh, most often quoted scriptures when we talk about the ransom price of Jesus. This word, Jonathan, that's used in Romans five sixteen to 18, what is the definition of this particular word? Well, Rick, it means an equitable deed, by implication, a statute or decision. A statute or decision. So you get this legal sense to the word. So Romans five sixteen to 18, the Apostle Paul is reasoning very much in a legal way that Jesus is the centerpiece for the redemption of all mankind. And like you and I were talking before the podcast, Jonathan, it's, it's kind of confusing a little bit up front. It really is. Okay. With so, all the legality. <laughs> yeah. So Romans five sixteen to 18. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, 
much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all man to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of the one, the free gift, came upon all men unto justification of life. And Rick, I love that word in verse 18 where it says, therefore, because mm-hmm. he's concluding what he was saying, which was very confusing to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and that therefore says, by the offense of one, judgment came to everyone. That's a simple statement, a simple truth. Every human being is born in sin because of Adam. He says, so by the righteousness of one, Jesus, the free gift came upon all men to justification, to this equitable deed, to this statute, this, this, this statute of decision or decision of life. So there is a legality to the canceling out of what Adam did by what Jesus did. So the Apostle Paul really is putting his pharisaical ap- approach in, in play here and in speaking in legal terms. Everybody suffers because of Adam. Therefore, everybody is going to receive justification by Jesus because Jesus canceled Adam. So it's a legal uh, representation of the equity of God's plan. That's, that's just the very, very beginning. So we're talking about a legal term. And when you talk about legal terms, you have to think about justice. In Psalm 89, 14, it says the judge, justice and judgment are the habitation of God's throne. And it's really important to understand that God works on a basis of justice. And, you know, we say, well, but God is love. Right. And the love is founded in justice. And that's why the need for Jesus as a sacrifice was so incredibly important. Now, let's get on to the two words that justification is primarily talked about in the New Testament using these two particular words. What do they mean? Well, Rick, it means to render, that is, show or regard as just or innocent. Okay, so that's the first word, to render or show or regard. This is important, show or regard or render just or innocent. And what's the second word mean? It means acquittal. Okay, when you acquit somebody, you've taken the liability away from them. There's no considering, there's no wondering, you've stamped them as having been released, okay? So that second word is really emphatic. The first word can be emphatic, or it can be to regard as though you were innocent. Okay, so you see the difference. Mm -hmm. The stamp of firm, you actually have been removed, versus, well, I'm going to consider you as though you were. Okay, we got to understand those two things. So here's the thing, Jonathan, and we mentioned this in the first segment. Justification is an event. It's the acquitting, the making right of an individual who was previously in the wrong. The person doesn't earn justification or acquittal, but is given justification or acquittal. So the question is, who makes us right? God does. All right. How do you know? Romans 8, 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Okay, and that one who justifies means the one to show or regard just or innocent. So if it's God who's regarding you as just or innocent, you've got a pretty good chance of being in the right place. That's for sure. (laughs) Okay, so God is the one who justifies. Now we say, well, wait, but it's Jesus' blood. No, God uses Jesus' blood to satisfy the requirement of justice. 
This is important in understanding this. So, Jonathan, how does God do this? Can we in this sinful world ever ever earn acquittal from Adam's sin? No way. Impossible. So nothing you can do can— Nothing. Nothing you, at all. You're sure? Positive. Even on your very best day? Cannot do it. Okay. No one could keep the law. Right. No one was perfect. Right. And, and that is, and again, they say, the Apostle Paul says the law was, show, was put in place to show us that it identified sin. See, see how bad we all are? Yes. So, so Romans chapter 3, we're going to skip a few verses, uh, verses 20 and then 22 to 28. Right now we're going to read verse 20, 22, and 23. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So now when it says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, justified in God's sight, right? That's right. Absolutely. So now that's the word that could be used to either regard or to actually show just or innocent, but he's saying the apostle saying, by the deeds of the law, nobody could be actually acquitted in God's sight. Okay, we know that. Okay, so all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God. There are no works that any of us could ever do to earn true justification. There's only one way that justification actually happens. So now we go to verses 24 through 28, and we'll stop in the middle. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Okay, so let's pause there. Being justified freely by his grace. This, this, that's a powerful thought. When we think about justification, it's being acquitted, being made free, freely by his grace because of what? What's in place? Jesus' sacrifice, his blood. The redemption of Jesus. And then it says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. A satisfaction. Thank you. Because <laughs> that's a word that we just don't use. So he was a satisfaction through faith in his blood to declare righteousness for the remission of sins uh, that are passed through the forbearance of God. And again, Jonathan, this is focusing on especially the sin of Adam. Okay, the sin of Adam has, Jesus is a propitiation for that, and it gives us the, the ability to stand in God's favor again. So now, verses 26 to 28. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. But what the law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So now you you got to ask yourself, well, is a man justified by faith, or is he justified through the faith or, or through the blood of Jesus? And the answer is yes, <laughs> because you have to have the blood of Jesus. You have to have the sacrifice to be able to be acquitted. But the faith that draws us to God puts us in a place where God can say, I will justify you at this time. So we got, we're going to get into what all of that really means because it's not, you know, it, it's not some magic pill that makes everything about you just right. 
You know, the idea of once in grace, always in grace. Well, if you've been saved, you know, nothing can happen. That's a misapplication of what justification really means. What justification really means is you've been released from the sin of Adam, and now you're living in Christ, and you are now responsible for your life moving forward. You're no longer condemned under Adam. So what does that mean? We'll get to that in the next segment. This reasoning, in, in looking at justifying, clearly show, carries the actual justification meaning and not regarding as justified as its meaning. So we're reading these verses in Romans, and God is the justifier. He's saying this is talking about actual, real, live acquittal, not just being considered okay, but being made okay because the sacrifice of Jesus has been applied to you as an individual. That's a big deal. So when we think about justification, we have to think of it as a really big, big deal. Folks, thank we- God it's it's God's grace alone <laughs> that we could have any standing right. Right. And it comes because salvation was the plan and redemption was the way the plan was executed. And justification is taking that and saying, I'm going to apply it to you. So what's our justification explanation for this segment? To be justified in the fullest sense is to be acquitted. Only Jesus' ransom has the capacity to acquit any imperfect human from the death sentence of Adam's sin. That is the only way in this entire world that acquittal can happen. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus. So, to be actually be acquitted for something you have no power to change on your own is magnificent mercy. If being acquitted from Adam's sin is only through Jesus, then why was Abraham justified by faith? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. The question of Adam being justified by faith is crucial. It not only seems to contradict what the scriptures just showed us, it also brings the matter of faith to the the forefront. God decides who will be justified and when. Jesus' ransom is the tool that unlocks justification. So, Where does faith fit? I mean, if God puts it in place and Jesus' ransom unlocks it, where does faith belong in this whole process? So, Rick, is this one of those different ages things? Like, Abraham wasn't a part of the gospel age. He was a part of the Jewish age. Uh, Jesus was a part of the gospel age. So there's a difference here. Yeah, yeah, and Abraham was actually, even before the Jewish age, he was he was one of the, 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 the patriarchs before the law. He So he goes way back, and we're going to see that it talks about Abraham being justified by faith. Now, what does that mean? Because Jesus was nowhere to be seen. That's okay. right. Okay, so we're going to need to examine that really carefully. So that's a good observation about ages. We have to, we'll see how that comes into play. Right now, let's go back to uh, another soundbite. Uh, and another look at justification. This is from the Gospel Coalition. What do justification and sanctification mean? So in this, they are defining uh, their perspective on justification. Justification is the act of God by which he declares us to be just or righteous or perfect because 
by faith alone we have been united to Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who is just, who is righteous. So justification is a legal standing before God owing to a spiritual union with Jesus, which is owing to faith alone. You don't work yourself into or perform your way into this standing with God. He declares you to be perfect because of your union with Christ, and that happens by faith alone. Okay, so I, I, I appreciate the, the way he d- described this. The one thing that I take issue with is, well, you know, it declares us to be perfect. What it declares us to be is no longer liable to the sin of Adam. That doesn't mean that we're perfect because, you know, it says that we have a, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. So, you know, you can't be perfect and sinning and needing that advocate. So we need to examine a little further, a little deeper, what this justification actually means and how it actually works. So let's look at the Abraham thing, and then we're going to come back to the Christian thing once we deal with the Abraham thing, because it's before the Christian thing. Okay, (laughs) Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now that word righteousness is exactly the same word as justified previously. Okay? So if Abraham were justified by works, and then it says, you know, Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for actually justification. That's the appropriate word. That's the appropriate, you know, um, language that actually belongs there. So, same word as the previous chapter that we we talked about, previously used, uh, that showed actual acquittal. So, does this mean Abraham is acquitted from Adam's sin? No. Well, but, Jesus hasn't um, paid the ransom price yet. So, here, we need to pay attention very carefully to how the Scripture is written. For what says the Scripture, okay? And, and that's going back to uh, Genesis fifteen six. We're going to go to in a moment, but it says Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, what does that word "counted" actually mean? It means to take an inventory. That is, estimate. So, it's you're you're estimating righteousness for Abraham because of his faith. Okay, it's not saying he was absolutely acquitted of Adam's sin. But he's saying he is estimated to be in that direction. We look at where the scripture was quoted from, and it's Genesis 15, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay, God reckoned it to him as righteousness. It didn't mean he was actually righteous. But here's the beauty. God treated him as though he was righteous. So even though he could not attain unto being righteous because he was still imperfect, God treated him that way. And there's a beautiful lesson in that about God's mercy, that we can't live up to things, but he treats us in a way that's beyond what we're capable of because of his love for us, because of Jesus' sacrifice, gives us the ability to stand before him that way. So this is, the, the picture of Abraham is actually a really beautiful picture. Abraham was considered right, but not actually acquitted, as evidenced by his continued need to sacrifice to God. He always had to sacrifice. His obedience 
with Isaac and leaving his country and so forth, sacrifices, um, his obedience and sacrifices gave him access to this justification. So, Rick, justification to life is one thing, and justification to more or less friendship with God is another. Uh, All the faithful ones to God before Pentecost were justified to friendship, but justification to life could only come after Jesus' sacrifice. Do I, do I have that right? You do. And the next scripture is really going to nail that down. But just a little bit more on Abraham, because justification, Jonathan, can never happen without sacrifice, without blood sacrifice. Now, remember, Abraham, back in Genesis 12, I think it was, went to sacrifice his own son. And in place of his son Isaac, there was a ram. Remember the ram that was caught in the bushes? Yes. There was the blood sacrifice, and Abraham's faithfulness was shown through that sacrifice of that ram, and I think that gave God the, the, uh, the ability, because you had a sacrifice in place, to look at Abraham, like you said, as a friend of God, as one that was working along with him. He considered him higher than he actually was, because he saw his heart, and that's a big, big thing. And, Rick, there was value in the life of that ram in the thicket. Yeah, absolutely. It cost something. It did. It absolutely did. Every sacrifice of the Jewish law cost something. And that's why, well, this this next scripture, let's go on to the next scripture because it really puts it in place. In the Old Testament, there was a reckoned justification that was achieved through animal sacrifices. This atonement was conditional as the sacrifices needed to be continually made Year be made year after year. Now Hebrews ten one to four really puts this in order. So Jonathan, let's go through this. For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so this really helps us understand the difference between what you said, sort of friends of God or the house of servants, if you will, versus being a son of God living after the time of Jesus and being called by God to Jesus, okay? Now, Trish handed me a question as you were reading that scripture, and, and the question fits perfectly with this scripture. She said, would Abraham be resurrected if Jesus had not died? Because God considered him justified, okay? So that's a really, really good question. Um, did that justification give Abraham a right to life? And the answer is no. And how do we know? Because the scripture you just read said that they had to offer these sacrifices year after year after year because they reckoned them justified. God considered them made right, but then they had to re-up again and again and again. And reread the last verse of Hebrews 10, uh, verses 1 through 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is not possible. So we know that even though God granted Abraham that beautiful relationship, that closeness with him, it would not have given him a resurrection to a new life because the sacrifice for Adam hadn't yet been paid 
and the sacrifice of blood and goats, bulls and goats, I'm sorry, couldn't do that. So this is where understanding justification, actual acquittal is so important because it comes from Jesus and it's for the sin of, of, of Adam. The Apostle Paul, let's shift gears now, is emphatic about justification and Jesus' followers. Now, this is in Romans chapter 4. So we started with Abraham in Romans, the beginning of chapter 4. By the time we get to the end of chapter 4, Paul has shifted to talking about the true followers of Jesus. And we're going to drop in a thought in this reading. But for our sake also, to whom it, and here's our thought, righteous behavior will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Okay, now acquittal. Right. Acquittal. That is the word that is absolute positive, yay and amen, acquittal. Okay? And it talks about faith as a foundational necessity. You have to have faith. And she said, well, well, wait, if Jesus did it without me, why do I have to have faith? Because in this age, to be justified, faith is required to come to God through Christ. So to get to the privilege of that gift of justification, faith is necessary on our part. Faith doesn't earn us justification. God decides that. But faith is part of what we must offer to God. In this age, you cannot be offered justification without faith. Now we go to Romans chapter 5, the very next verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And just read verse 1, then we'll pause for a second. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, Jonathan, we read all of those words in the first segment, and we're only focusing on three. Well, right. I want to pause for a moment and just introduce another one of those words. You know, the, the words were um, salvation, God's big plan, redemption, the sacrifice of Jesus, which we've been referring to, justification, which we're talking about. And then the next word was reconciliation, okay? When it says we've been justified by, pace, by faith that we have peace with God, that peace with God is actually the reconciliation, There is no more difficulty between us and God. God puts us onto his page. doesn't mean we can't sin, but God puts us onto a page where he can work with us. We have legally come into favor with God, okay? Jesus bought us the opportunity, and God says, I'm giving you my spirit. I'm showing you you have favor with me. And now verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And Rick, uh, that makes me think of um, the robe of Christ's righteousness. Uh, Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in Jehovah. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. So there's a picture that goes with the idea of acquittal. So the acquittal is like taking your sinful self and covering yourself with that robe of the righteousness of Christ. And you are, as long as you wear that robe, Jonathan, you are clean. You're clean before God. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a privilege. It is. It's a privilege. And, and, and that's the point. Now, justification is absolutely a privilege. And it only comes to a select few. And you say, oh, wait, 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 that's not fair. Oh, yes, it is. Because that's God's choice. Part two, 
next week, we're going to talk about how justification can be had by everybody else, but that's not now. Only being called of God and accepting that call brings the offer of justification here and now. We know that. Again, Jesus tells us that in John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So God has to draw us to him. That's the first step. The second step is something we have to do. Luke 14, 27 and 28, Jesus is speaking a parable, but here's the lesson. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So this parable is in relation to counting the cost to being a footstep follower of Jesus. We have to make a choice once we're offered that justification. And commentator Russell talks about justification this way. Justification is represented as a robe of righteousness, of pure linen, clean and white by which the Lord covers the blemishes and imperfections of all whom he accepts through faith in his precious blood. So again, that very clear description of the, of the cleanliness that Jesus brings us, it doesn't make us perfect, but it covers us with the perfection of Jesus and his sacrifice. And that's what justification is. We are no longer held liable for the sin of Adam. That's critical. Therefore, we are to live life based on what God gives us to live, and we have choices now what to do, and that's where sanctification will come in, and we'll get to that in a moment. So let's, let's see if we can wrap up justification here, Jonathan. What's our justification explanation? Actual justification brings serious personal responsibility for living a godly life. While we do not even justify while we do not earn justification, we must live in accordance with its privilege. You can't earn it, but it, it's given to you freely if God calls you, and then you have to live up to the life that it requires. So the whole idea of acquittal is, at least at this point, a very exclusive opportunity, and we need to take it seriously. How would we sum up justification and relate it to sanctification? What are the connections? We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. Applying the merit of the sacrifice of Jesus to an individual is the only means by which true justification can be attained. Once made right, that person is now responsible to live in accordance with their new standing. Now here's the key as we bring in sanctification. Sanctification is not about being made right. It's about learning to live right. Sanctification is not about being made right. That's justification. It's about learning to live right. So now we're going to focus on the practical aspect. Now, this is not the legal part because we legally were bought and we're legally reconciled. And now it's about living. There's two New Testament words for sanctification, Jonathan. What are they? Well, the first is to make holy, that is ceremonial, 
purify or consecrate, and mentally to venerate. Okay, so to make holy, that's to, to purify or to consecrate. And what's the other word? The second word is purification, that is the state, purity. Okay, so there really are really very, very, very close. To purify, to make holy. You know, and something that is really, truly purified in God's sight is holy to him. So we need to understand, well, what does that mean for us? What, how does sanctification work? When does it work? Who does it? What are, what are the moving parts? Well, let, let's go to a soundbite from the Gospel Coalition again. Uh, what does ju- do justification and sanctification mean? And now, uh, and I th- believe this is uh, John Piper, is going to be defining uh, their perspective on sanctification. Sanctification is the act of God by which he, through his spirit and his word, is conforming you little by little, or in big steps, into the image of his Son. So we are really becoming, in our behavior, righteous, really overcoming imperfections in our sanctification. I like that. You know, it is this step-by-step process of drawing us to a behavior that's higher. So, while justification is an action, and Jonathan, here's the thing. When God called you, and, you know, we've talked about your story in the past. God called you, you recognized the call, and what did you do? I accepted the call because (laughs) I needed help. (laughs) And I I was worthless without the Lord of my life, and I knew that, and I needed to move forward. But, Rick, I had a lot to learn. You did. I needed to learn how to behave, what God would expect of me, and it was a process, and it's a lifelong process, actually. So... At the beginning, you know, you, 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 you answer that call. And at some point early on in this process, we, we presume that God gave you his spirit. To understand more fully. Right. Yes. So the giving of God's spirit is the stamp of justification in this age. Now, at that point, Jonathan, would you say that you really knew everything? You knew how to live. You knew, you knew really the depths of right and wrong. You knew, you know, scripturally had this deep, deep understanding. I was just beginning to learn that. I had a long way to go. And when people came up to me and said, you know, what could I pray for you? Give me wisdom because I want to live my life the way God wants me to. So that was the process of sanctification. You were already made right because God's spirit was given. And now you had to take the raw material of being acquitted from Adam's sin and now go to work. That's right. So sanctification is a process, the setting apart of one or many for a holy purpose. And we'll get into the many in a few minutes. To be sanctified is to be considered or to be made holy. Sanctification opens the door for a relationship with God, and its process actually begins before somebody's justified. You say, well, wait, how can that be? Well, we'll we'll get to that. However, it's not sanctification is not fully viable without an act of justification being first put in place. Jonathan, you, before God granted you his spirit, you were trying to make your life better. I was trying, but I didn't know how. Right. And I was asking and praying, Lord, give me direction. And when you came to begin to understand the truth, you began to understand how. That's right. But you didn't have the spirit yet. No, I didn't. But you were in Because I hadn't made a commitment yet. Right. But you were in the process of moving toward God as best as you could. That's the sanctification process. 1 Corinthians 6.11. 
Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. I love the process. You were washed. And I think that being washed in this particular verse is an allusion to John's baptism. And and I keep picking on your example, Jonathan, because you made a commitment in your heart first to just live righteously and then to live spiritually. That's right. Exactly. And so you were washed and then sanctified. In other words, you started the work, the process, and then God, you're answering the call and he finally grants you a spirit, then you're justified. And that washing... It, it was really like a repentance to yes. say, man, right. I don't like who I am and where I am, and I want to change. And this is what sanctification looks like. This process begins with God drawing an individual or a group to him to be sanctified. The drawing process is a grooming process, and we can see that. You comb your hair so nicely now, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grooming process, an introductory time of preparation in which the benefits of sanctification are being revealed to the one who's drawn. Okay, so now let's take a look at another scripture that I think kind of shows us the, the, the ups and downs and the pitfalls of sanctification process before God's Spirit comes. Matthew 13, 22 and 23, and this is the parable of the sower. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So we have two examples here, and we only chose to quote two here, but in the first one, here's the word, uh, has the potential to be fruitful, but it's choked out by the deceitfulness of wealth and the, the thorns and thistles of, of life. So you had the process of sanctification coming toward God and, and, and learning holiness, interrupted and shut because, down because it's saying it became unfruitful meaning there were improvements made right, right right so sanctification doesn't always have success in this life okay the process can get derailed and that's what that is showing us versus the other individual this the, the good soil and they bear fruit and that shows us the sanctification process that's what it is it's the bearing of fruit and it's bearing more and more and more fruit as we go through our lives. So that's just another picture of what sanctification, the process of being made holy, looks like. Sanctification, actually, if we go to the history of sanctification, it appears way early on in the Bible. In the second chapter of the Bible, sanctification is a declared act of God. Genesis 2-3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So this seventh day, God set apart, and he set it apart for the purpose of holiness, for the purpose of reflection. And that's a big lesson for us, and God declared the seventh day holy or sanctified. So it shows up in the creative days. Sanctification next appears after Israel is delivered from Egypt. This is Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2. And Jonathan, before you read this, I want to make a statement about sanctification when it comes to humanity. Sanctification never can exist without blood sacrifice. No matter how you look at it, no matter where you look at it in Scripture, there's always a basis of a blood sacrifice. Let's read Exodus 13, 1 and 2. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of men and beasts. It belongs to me. Okay. Sanctify to me every firstborn. Okay, Jonathan, what's the context of this? What, what was just happening before all of this? Well, Rick, they just had the Passover and put the blood on the doorpost right. so that they, the firstborn would not be destroyed. So they were freed from slavery, and God says, set apart for me, sanctify every firstborn. Why? Because the blood price was paid. You see, sanctification needs the legal permission to go into, into practice. And, you know, for you, Jonathan, and for every other Christian, we're not justified before we're sanctified, but because the price was already paid, it is now looking to be applied to us, and that's where our sanctification process can begin. So just focusing on Israel, just one for a couple more minutes, Israel's path to God's favor was through consecration slash sanctification. Both are actually come from the same word. Okay. Once delivered from Egypt, the people of Israel had to be, quote, sanctified to be able to go before God. So earlier when we said, you know, it could be a drawing of an individual or group, the group we're referring to is back in the Old Testament. The entire Jewish nation was called to be sanctified. Exodus chapter 19, 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So this is a great scripture because it talks about all the people had to consecrate themselves. And what did that mean? It means to be sanctified. It means to wash themselves and wash their garments and clean themselves up to be as respectable as they possibly could before God. And Jonathan, I go back to your, your life story. That's part of what you were doing early on. That's you, right. You were trying to become respectable before God by recognizing his commandments and, and his, his, his word and his will and trying to, you know, live in accordance with those things. So, Israel's physical cleaning themselves up, their physical preparation shows our spiritual preparation. What they did, you did. And that's what sanctification is. That's what it looks like. A critical part of being sanctified, preparing to go before God, was being physically clean. We need to be spiritually clean as well. And look, you can't do that very well on your own. But God takes the will for the deed. And if we put forth our effort as feeble as it might, in, and as, as full of failure as it might be, he still can accept it as you're making progress. You're making progress. What's our sanctification explanation as we wrap this segment up? For any human being, being set apart for a holy purpose is not as simple as making a decision and acting on it. It needs redemption first, time, attention, and the grace of God to truly work. Okay, you can't have sanctification without redemption. All right? The blood has to have been paid. The, the sacrifice has to have been made. The value of life has to have been shown. And then the process of moving toward God can be put in place. And it can happen, especially now, even before God actually fully accepts us. So the whole idea of being set apart from God is daunting. There's so much to do and change and so little time to do it. So how does sanctification work? Is it done before we are justified? Who does the sanctifying? 
Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. Of all the several parts of God's plan that we began talking about, sanctification in many ways is the most complicated. The fact that it's a process is not easily understood by most. The way that sanctification happens adds to the confusion because it comes from many different sources. You know, justification is easy. comes from Jesus, okay? comes from God, I should say, comes from God through Jesus. That's right. Simple. The plan of redemption. It's God's plan. Okay? Simple. Reconciliation. Once in this age, once you've been uh, justified, you've been reconciled, you've been made right. Sanctification, though, has all kinds of stuff going on. Very hard to keep keep track of sanctification. Okay? Let's go to one more soundbite. This is from Three Minute Theology, and they're going to give us their definition, their perspective on sanctification. some, Some very good thoughts here. Sanctification refers to the process whereby Christians become holy. It is about acquiring and living in holiness, and the Bible's quite clear that this is essential to the Christian life. In one place it says it as bluntly as can be, that without holiness no one can see God. The challenge here is that often the language of holiness conjures up for us images of somber people who have a long list of things they do and don't do, and who feel they need to impose this list on everyone else. But this is not how the Bible conceives of holiness. The Bible continually describes it as something that God does in us and through us as he claims us for himself and works his holiness out in us. In one place it says it like this, May the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. In this sense, holiness is an objective characteristic or quality that God imparts to those who belong to Jesus, not a subjective quality that we obtain through moral effort. We are, in one sense, passive recipients of our holiness. And yet at the same time, holiness is, in fact, about a way of life. It is about men and women actively thinking and speaking and living in a way that reflects God's own holiness. You know, the a lot of very good thoughts there. The one thing that you know, I would take a little bit of issue with is you know, we have to contribute mightily to be sanctified. God doesn't just blanket us with sanctification and there we are. He blankets us with the opportunities and the methods of sanctification and there we must walk. So that's important. So let's figure out how we become sanctified. First of all, God's word actually sanctifies us. This begins before we're justified and accelerates after. And a lot of times, a a, a lot of Christians, I think, don't think about the fact that this process actually begins beforehand. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, this is Jesus' prayer for all of his followers just before his crucifixion. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So God's word is sanctifies us. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart because of what your word says. So we say, okay, so we get sanctification from God's word. We're good. But wait, there's more, okay? We are to sanctify ourselves, and this can be a surprise to some. This begins before we're justified, but already we've been redeemed. We just haven't had it applied to us, and accelerates afterwards as well. Romans six nineteen. 
I am speaking in human terms because of the weaknesses of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. See, present your members as a slave to righteousness. So, Jonathan, you and I are personally responsible to present ourselves so that we can have sanctification result from our actions. It takes work and and thought and focus and prayer and encouragement from others. It does. And and we'll, we'll get to so so sanctification is not just from God's word. It comes from our efforts to live up to the things that we learn in God's yes, word. Exactly. So it's a continual choice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 to 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, so at this point, the will of God is your sanctification. You're being made holy. And that you live a morally correct life. You live a life that's not in full of lustful passion, but it is full of desire to do the will of God. That's what sanctification is. And Jonathan, again, this we have to make the effort to live that life that can be set apart and holy. Now, let's uh, verses uh, 6 and 7. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Rick, okay. but uh, personally, when we do go down the wrong path, God will chasten us and discipline us to get us back on the right path because we're going to make mistakes. And, and you know, that, that is so critically important. And again, that means, that shows that we're not perfect. It shows no. that we have to grow. It shows that we have to change just because we may have been justified. It means the, 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 the battle is starting. It's not over. Because God says, okay, I'm taking away Adam's sin from you I'm, through justification, through the blood of Jesus. Now live in accordance with that. That's where the battle begins. And you're right. We need the chastenings to keep ourselves in line with that because now we're on trial for life because we're no longer condemned to death in Adam. Folks, that's why, that's why true Christians go to heaven because the Adamic sin has been removed and they are now can be faithful unto death and receive a crown of life. That happens because of justification and living a sanctified life. So we are sanctified. Make no mistake. We already said God's word sanctifies us. We have to work at sanctifying ourselves. It's a continual choice. We're, all, we're clearly sanctified by the blood of Jesus. We're sanctified by the act of justification. And that's shown to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, you know, you read a verse like Hebrews 10.10, 10, by, this, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And you say, okay, that's it. The body of Jesus, his sacrifice, that sanctified us. That's it. It's done. It's over. But see, these are yea and amen statements that need to be built one upon the other because it's much more than that. Now, 
I, you know, it makes me cringe to say, well, it's much more than the blood of Jesus because, you know, you, you, we're, we're not minimizing it. What we're doing is we're saying it's a process that includes our heart and our mind and our desires. That's what sanctification is about. It's not the legal stuff. You see, the blood of Jesus was the legal uh, doorway that we got through so we could be talking about being sanctified. We must adjust ourselves and live higher. That's what sanctification is. And Jonathan, I think that's what a lot of Christians miss is the incredible effort and the incredible change that we must continue to make to live higher and higher standards according to holiness. And think about the Apostle Paul striving, stretching forward to to prove his faithfulness in his Christian walk. Yeah, and think about, you know, when you think about effort, you think the Apostle Paul in, uh, I think it was Romans 6, I think he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will release me from this body of sin? So he's saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What is going on with me? And this is the process of sanctification. It's, it's working at it. So God's word sanctifies us. We sanctify our, ourselves by our efforts. We sanctify, we're sanctified by the blood of Jesus, by the act of justification. God's spirit also sanctifies us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. Okay, sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So sanctification is a multifaceted personal development program. It really is. Okay, so it's not this gift from God, it's this opportunity from God that he gives us all of these ways to go about working it. Jesus sanctifies us himself by using God's word. The scripture says that, and this is a beautiful Scripture, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So Jesus, this is a beautiful picture, says, you know, husbands, love your wives wives, here's the example. Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, okay, that he might sanctify, set her apart for this holy purpose, and and it's saying that Jesus helps to, to cleanse us by the washing of water with the word. So, you know, it, it's, it gives us a sense that not only did Jesus' death do the work for us, but his life did as well. His teaching his example, and then, of course, the risen Lord in, his, in, in, in Revelation and in, in, the, in the experiences of the apostles that they had with him after he was risen. Everything about Jesus was for our being set apart for that holy purpose, to be the bride of Christ. Sanctify. It's a process. It's about the practical, get your hands dirty so you can be clean aspect of justification, which is the legal stamp of God saying, you are acquitted from this sin of Adam. We can even have a sanctifying effect on others. So it's not enough 
that God's word sanctifies, and we sanctify ourselves by our, the efforts we move toward sanctification, that we're sanctified by the blood of Jesus, that God's spirit sanctifies us, that Jesus sets us apart and sanctifies us himself. But we can have a sanctifying effect on others. 1 Corinthians 7.14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Now let's think about this for a moment, because this is really an important concept. We always say, well, we don't always say, but many Christians say that sanctification is only applied to the actual believers, to followers of Christ. And yet, in this scripture, it's saying if you come to Christ, and you were married and had a family beforehand, and you come to Christ, but your wife doesn't, it says that the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Because of your relationship with God. So it's not saying that she is converted. No. But she's looked at in a holier way than she would have been because of your relationship with God. The picture of marriage is a, a oneness, a union. You are one. And the byproduct of that is you come to Christ and you're in this marriage. You know, God's not saying, well, leave the marriage. No, 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 no. He's saying, in this way, you be faithful in that marriage and your children will be holy. God will look upon them differently because of you, because you have a relationship with him now. Fact is, Jonathan, most of the world has no relationship with God now. That's right. But those who come in contact with those who are sanctified followers of Jesus have an opportunity to have their, 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 their relationship with God raised if they you know, follow through on those things. So we can even have a sanctifying effect on those who don't believe. See, that's a powerful, powerful thought here. So we've touched so far mainly on two steps that will help us get to heaven. But we haven't focused on the complete, because we have a part two coming. Yes, yes, we do. One other aspect of that, Trish just brought me another question, you know, and she said, does that mean that they're justified too? No, it doesn't. They're not justified. But they have a level of holiness because of your relationship with God. That spouse and those children have that. So, folks, if you're in that situation, be faithful. Be faithful to your marriage, be faithful to God in Christ, and you bless your spouse and children because of that faithfulness. That's powerful, because God looks upon them differently. They're not justified. We'll get to that actually next week, okay? So what's our sanctification explanation here as we begin to wrap up? To be set apart for a holy purpose is an all aspect of life change that requires attention from many sources to be able to be accomplished. Okay, so it's an aspect of, of, of life changing, okay? I mean, it, it just it requires a lot of effort. So look, folks, next week, you know, as we wrap this up and, and, we, and we look at sanctification and justification, we see justification is that stamp of you are acquitted, and now I work with you, and the signal for that is the begettle of God's Spirit. Sanctification has a broad, broad meaning on a lot of different levels. Next week, you know, the question is, well, where does glorification fit into this whole picture, okay? How do justification and sanctification bring glorification? 
Is it the same process or a different process for those to later be resurrected who were not true Christians? And the answer is the process is similar, but there are a lot of differences. So you need to tune in next week to see what's the same and what's different. And once we look at it next week, the whole picture makes so much more sense. And God's plan, I believe, I believe, I believe, shines out that much more clearly. Let's understand that in God's plan, we can be made right before God now if we're called and given his spirit. That's justification. And then we have to go through the process of changing our lives to be in line with God. That is sanctification. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, well, it's pretty obvious what's coming up next week. What three steps will get us to heaven? Part two. You don't want to miss it. Talk to you then.